The scripture reading for the sermon is from Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, their garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges with fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression, they speak from on high, they have set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue parades to the earth. Therefore his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came to the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was like a senseless and ignorant. I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We thank you for your word, which keeps reminding us of things we need to know. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to live in a world such as we experience now. We need faith, greater faith. Strengthen us in faith. Help us to have an eternal, wise, and divine perspective on our lives and the world around us. Bless the proclamation of your hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please be seated. Since this is my last time speaking with y'all, I also just wanted to express my appreciation for what a wonderful time Carolyn and I have had. Uh, we've been so encouraged uh, with your love for the Word of God. So if, if I wanted to characterize this as a church, I'd say it's a happy church. You rejoice to be together. You love one another. And so it's, it's, been, a, it's been a delight for us to be with you. We've been treated so well. So I love that your children are in the service. And I actually want to ask a question of the children to start. And I want to ask you, it could be young people as well, teenagers. Have you ever found yourself saying these three words? It's not fair. Have you ever said that? Your parents are saying yes. We've heard you say that. <laughs> What's not fair? 
Well, my sister gets to do this stuff when she's nine, and I had to wait till I was 11. He got in trouble. I mean, I'm sorry, I got in trouble, and he didn't get in trouble, but it was his fault more than my fault. Or my friends get to go see this movie, and you won't let me see that movie. Or my friend gets this game, and I don't get that game. That's just part of human nature. We have the sense of justice. It's not fair. But probably your parents, if they're not saying it, they're thinking it. We look at the world around us, we say, it's not fair. Uh, Sometimes it's the big picture. Uh, This tie I'm wearing today, I bought two years ago when I was doing ministry in Wuhan, China. Some of you have heard of Wuhan. Nobody had heard of Wuhan two years ago. It's where the Wuhan virus began, in my view. But um, I was doing ministry in an underground seminary where it was like an old a spy movie or something where I came into the airport and I had to be whisked away in one car, taken to a dark alley, switched to another car, dark windows, take the SIM card out of my cell phone, turn it off, go into this building at night where 25 pastors and I guess a wife or two were there to receive training because it was an underground seminary. I also had the privilege of speaking in some of the underground churches in China and Shanghai Uh, as well as Wuhan, and I learned after I left months later as the government there has been cracking down on Christian churches that some of those pastors have been called in for questioning. We know many pastors in China, leaders are in prison for their faith. Uh, Churches have been shut down. Some of you may have seen a video, actually this took place while I was there a few years ago where the government, there's beautiful church building, the government just blew the thing up and it just was a pile of rubble when they were done with it. Doesn't seem fair. Uh, I also spent time in Nigeria. And the part of Nigeria I was in was relatively safe from Islamic persecution, but I have a friend that was in our seminary in California who was a pastor there, and Islamic terrorists came and burned down his house and burned down his church. He was afraid his children were going to die. They got out. There are terrorists who were coming and kidnapping people and taking them away. And the government isn't able to stop them. You say, it doesn't seem fair. Uh, You could go all over the world, but then you can think in terms of our own country. And you see some of the things the government does. You see the courts uh, failing to protect the rights of the unborn. When legislatures try to pass something to protect even some unborn lives, uh, the courts knock it out or the legislature knocks it out. The Congress passed the Equality Act which basically is attempting to criminalize biblical views of gender and family and make it harder for people to function in schools and even in their workplaces, people who believe as we believe, and say, it's not fair. Uh, you, you see the big tech companies now, and this week there was a, a book challenging the transgender ideology of even imposing that upon small children, and somebody saying this is medically, scientifically wrong. It's called When Harry Became Sally. Amazon has made that book disappear. The Ministry of Truth is taking it away as if it never existed, can't be purchased on their website, can't be listened to on Audible anymore. And it's frustrating. It's like we, you know, people who have certain perspectives, they can't tweet, they can't be on Facebook or Instagram and say, it's not fair. All these people seem so powerful. It's like there's just nothing we can do about it. There are people in the last year with businesses and laws have been, or proclamations have been made and have 
destroyed businesses and people have experienced great loss. Others have made a great deal of money and say it's not fair. Actually, if you just watch the news, which I'm not recommending in this sermon actually, or if you spend time on social media, you're going to feel a lot of times it's not fair. I've been here, those of you who have been around, we've been doing a conference and your pastor chose the bright and happy topic of depression, talking about various causes of depression. We talked about some yesterday, but one cause of depression, and this is the Psalms reflect human experience. In Psalm 73, this psalmist is in great distress because it's not fair. The bad guys seem to be winning. The good guys seem to be losing. Why doesn't God do anything? And, and many Christians can struggle with, with sadness, despair, depression. It tests your faith. Now, some of you have heard of the apologist Francis Schaeffer. Relatively early in his ministry, uh, he had a crisis of faith. And, and the reason for the crisis of faith was it, it, he began to question if Christianity is true, seeing that it's having so little effect. And thankfully, as he sought the Lord, he came out of that with faith and he did well and had a, a wonderful ministry. But sometimes when life goes really badly, when the culture seems all against us, when things happen badly, it can even be personally, things, uh, an inheritance not fairly uh, shared, a, a business deal where you've been taken advantage of or someone has wronged you or fired you unjustly, take, and you just want to say it's not fair. And the comfort of the Word of God is that not just people in our lifetime or history who've had these experiences, but the psalmist himself went through a very deep spiritual struggle with a temptation to envy the wicked, to be frustrated with what appeared to be the lack of justice on God's part. But within the psalm, there is the answer for us when we have this struggle. I love this psalm. He begins with kind of a summary, and the psalm kind of starts high, drops down low, and then comes up again. And it's autobiographical. He, he's telling his story of his struggle with the concern of it's not fair. So he begins on a high as a summary. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he's affirming the goodness of God. But then he says, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. And he's confessing. And in the first half of the psalm, verse to verse 14, is really an exhortation to us, don't be short-sighted. Don't envy the wicked. But he, he's honest with his own failings. says, I almost fell. Um, yesterday, Carol and I took a hike around a little lake in the area. I've got to get her 10,000 steps every day. And so... The, on the trail, there were so many leaves on the trail, you could not see obstacles. And there were roots that would stick up a few inches. And one time she's walking along and suddenly she's flying. Uh, she hit one of those roots and thankfully I was there and she kind of grabbed onto me and didn't fall down. She stumbled and almost fell. That's what the psalmist said. Is in his spiritual walk, he's walking along and something caused him to stumble and he didn't fall, but he almost fell. And even believers can be tempted in this way, and, and many of us are. And the reason is that he was walking by sight and not by faith. 
and he's going to get the perspective back as we continue. And another picture that comes into my mind is that, you know, the Apostle Peter, when he was walking on water, when he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. What happened when he looked away from Jesus? Children, he began to sink. And that's what the psalmist says, I was doing okay, then I began to sink. So we want to learn from the Word of God and from the experience of the psalmist, how can I find help when I feel like I'm going to sink? And so he goes through kind of his complaint. He says, I, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they, there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're not in trouble like other men. They're not plagued like mankind. So first of all, just talking about them personally, th these guys don't seem to have as many problems as the rest of us. Uh, they live long, healthy lives. I was listening today uh, about, or I was reading today about a man who's in his 90s, who's incredibly rich and is godless. And, you know, he's had all these earthly benefits. And why is it that our loved ones get cancer at an earlier age or have these troubles? Um, you know, it could be economically. They're the ones whose kids have straight teeth and don't need orthodontists. And they're Cars and appliances last beyond the warranty. And uh, even in death, it says that there are no pangs. They have a smooth, soft passage out of this life, not with great suffering as we see some experience. They seem to have the greatest share of outward blessings. And this expression here, their, their body is fat. Now, this is, you got to understand culture then, because nowadays having a fat body in America is like, what's wrong with you? Well, who were concerned about food. And so to have a fat body, it's like the fat cows that uh, were in the dream of Pharaoh. It's like, this is prosperity. Now, this actually was an experience of mine. I was in Asia in the 80s getting uh, uh, some clothes tailored. And I was in a place where I stood out, not quite as much as your pastor, but still a big guy, both up and wide. And I felt self-conscious. And the tailor, this little tiny guy's working on me. I say, well, I'm a pretty good, I'm a pretty big guy. And he says, no, sir, you're prosperous. <laughs> you know, he could tell I had not missed many meals. Um, and so, you know, fat means these people have no lack of food when other people are hungry. So that, that's their life. And then verses 6 to 8 is how they treat other people. Pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges with fatness. The imagination of their heart runs riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. So... These are the people who have power. They're the people who have economic power and political power, social power. They're the influencers. And they're, they're smug. They think they're better than everybody else. They think, quote, as we're going to hear, maybe they're on the right side of history and we're on the wrong side of history. They mistreat their fellow men with their, their, oppressor, their oppressors. You think of uh, the horrible evil that's done, be it through pornography and, and trafficking, uh, you think of uh, genocide taking place in parts of the world today. You think of the abortion mills getting rich, exploiting women and harming unborn children. And then when somebody exposes that they're selling body parts, that person gets punished and not the abortion mill. And, and you want to throw up your hands. Uh, and, but again, nothing seems to stop them. They, they, they slander the righteous. They mock. They speak of oppression. They expect the world to stand in awe of them as the masters of the universe. But then, not only in relation to other people, verses 8 to 11 just go further and say, 
how they relate to God. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue parades to the earth. Um, what he's getting at in these verses, and it especially comes out in verse 11, they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? They don't fear God. They don't believe in God. Or they make an idol of a God of their own imagination. Uh, and they challenge God himself. And it brings to my mind uh, back one of my other favorite psalms in Psalm 2, where it's describing the nations being in an uproar. Verse 2, it says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart. Let us cast their cords from us. And what we have, I'm sure you recognize, is the evil in the world today is not just mistreatment of fellow man. It's not just personal human pride. It's rebellion against God who is king of kings. And they, they dare to challenge him. They don't fear him. They despise him. And the psalmist observing all these things, their personal lives, how they treat others, how they regard God, he's, he summarizes in verse 12, well, these are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Like, it seems to be working for them. And what about me? Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Uh, they're getting by with it, and my life is tough. It seems it doesn't pay to be good. And of course, that's what Satan whispers in your ear. Well, if, if God is in control, then you should be doing well. But if you look at the news, if you look at social media, it obviously isn't that way. Why doesn't God do something? And again, this is where Asaph, the, the psalmist is saying, it's really dangerous to think this way, but that's what we do. The prosperity of the wicked, the temptation to envy those who are ungodly, exists for the real believer. How can we escape? We're going to get to that in the second half of the psalm. But I also just want to mention a parallel is, since all of Scripture points to Christ, I can't help but to think if there was ever a time when things seemed to be unfair, when ever sinned, was brought before both Jewish and Roman justice, was completely innocent, was beaten, then crucified, was mocked and scorned, and at that point in history, you imagine from the standpoint of the disciples, it seems like goodness has lost and evil has won. But the story was not over, nor the story of the psalmist. And so the first point is don't be short-sighted. Don't envy the wicked. And then the second half of the psalm is you need to see the world from God's perspective. You need to think long-term, not short-term. Uh, continuing in verse 15, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And so he's actually describing, and this is something we need to consider as parents, the things that may come out of our mouth. You know, Ecclesiastes says we need to be careful how we speak of God. We need to be slow to speak, James says. Um, you know, the, the psalmist is a leader in Israel when he's tempted to complain against God. Uh, that could influence others. You think of Francis Schaeffer when he was having his crisis of faith. It was probably good that he went out into woods in Switzerland and had a walk and didn't go broadcasting all of his doubts right in the middle of it. Um, God's ways are beyond our ways. And so he's, you know, he was cautious there. 
But then you really come to the answer. He says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. And I'll give you another hiking example, and maybe the children can follow this. Is, um, when my family and I would go on hikes or drives even, but I'll use a hiking example, uh, sometimes we would get lost. We actually were doing this before people had GPS and cell phones. And sometimes my, my wife would say when we were lost, we were exploring. Well, ex you know, exploring meant we were exploring a way to get out. But what is one thing you can do if you're caught hiking and you're not sure where the path goes? Well, get on higher ground. I guess you could climb a tree. Oh, there's the parking lot over there about a mile. Or get up on the top of a high hill and get perspective. And that's what the psalmist says I did. Is I was stuck in the, the thorns and the weeds and the brush. And I was really alarmed to see the present. But then when I got in a higher perspective, and for him, the higher perspective was coming into the presence of God. And for us to come into the presence of God, we know through Christ in prayer, we have access to God individually. We have the word of God speaking to us as we read it. But I also think it's significant. He talks about the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary of God now is the people of God. And there's a lovely quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this sermon, how he describes how many times his own, I think he called it the flu of his own soul, was cured by being in the presence of the people of God. As we sing hymns together, as we give praise to God together, as we hear his word together, our faith is built up. The truth comes to oppose the lies that the world and the flesh keep and the devil keep. So for the psalmist, getting the higher ground was to draw near to God and to have truth that would help him. And that's where he says, I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. It's recalling who God is. He is mighty. It's recalling that he is, he is just. And, and while their present may seem pleasant enough, their end will be horrible. And you can look on social media and you can see the great people of politics and entertainment and sports. You can see the, the wealthy and the you can see the billionaires, nearly trillionaires or whatever they are, the tech titans. And you can see even with their power using it to oppose God. But God is not troubled by them. And I will go back to Psalm 2 after the nations claim they're going to tear the, God's fetters apart and cast their cords. It says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. Um, again, another example for the kids. If, let's say, in your backyard there was an anthill. You ever have any ants around your house? So as you get an anthill, and let's say those ants say, ants of the world unite. We're going to take over the house. Do you think that would really intimidate your family? What are you going to do? That's what you can do to ants, right? You're bigger than they are. You can get poison spray and, and wipe them out. It's ridiculous for the ants to think that they could take over your house. But what the psalmists are saying, both, it's even more ridiculous for the wicked to think they can oppose God. It's like a bunch of little ants 
trying to take over the world. It's not going to happen. God laughs at them. They're, it's ridiculous. Remember in the past, God's dealing with the wicked. Remember the time of the flood when the world turned from him and was in rebellion and he wiped them out. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah who in their immorality did such evil and God brought fire upon them. Uh, you think to the future and that's what it is here. Is Though they're prospering now, it is appointed a man once to die and after this comes judgment. And we know Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. There's nothing to envy. God is already preparing their doom. He's speaking in, you know, you've set them on slippery places. They're going to fall, not like us. We almost fell. They're going to fall. I love the expression, like a dream when one awakes. It's almost like they're going to be like a little vapor. They're like, you never wake up and you can hardly even remember which, you, you seem like you're having a dream, but now you don't remember the dream anymore. They're going to be just forgotten. They're going to be, they seem so mighty and heavy and significant now. In the new heavens and the new earth, they're going to be remembered no more in spite of how important they seem today. And it may come upon them suddenly. And Jesus is out in the parable of the rich fool who, you know, barns and bigger barns, proud of his wealth, self-reliant, mighty. And then God said, tonight your soul is required of you. And it was all gone. You think of Haman in the book of Esther, right? Remember he built these big gallows. He wants to hang his enemy Mordecai there. And then he wants to kill off Mordecai's people. Who got hung on Haman's gallows? Haman did, because he defied the living God. The wrath of God is awesome and terrible. And that's where the psalmist says, when I, when I got to the higher ground and I saw, and it took the long-term perspective, and he continues, now I look back when my heart was embittered, I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant, like a beast before you. You know, I'm, I'm ashamed that I envied the wicked. I'm ashamed that I, I doubted that way. Um, I wasn't trusting God. I was, I was filling myself with nonsense. Um, there was actually a psychological scientific study done that asserted that people who spend a lot of time on social media are more prone to depression than other people. And actually, social media promotes envy, doesn't it? I would add, probably watching a lot of Fox News would do the same thing. I'm not saying you're not allowed to watch Fox News. I'm just saying that is not giving you the high perspective. That's looking at the thorns and the weeds and possibly tempting you to stumble over there. Not wrong to be informed, but we need a higher ground to see the faithfulness of God. He's continuing in verses 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. No longer listening to the nonsense of the world, now listening to God, finding satisfaction in Him. Uh, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Like a Paul saying, "Momentary trial, you know, trials now are momentary and light compared to the glory yet to be revealed when Christ returns. And so Asaph kind of summarizes in verse 27, then winds up where he began the psalm. He summarizes, Behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Now he realizes that those who seem to be mighty and powerful, those whom we're tempted to envy in the world, those who seem to get by with stuff and you're tempted to say, It's not fair. 
If they continue in their defiance of God, they will be judged, they will be destroyed, and there's nothing to envy, even now, for what they have. And now, we have God near to us, not just in the future, but in the present. He is our refuge. And as we tell of His works and rejoice in Him, we can be glad. We don't have to be overwhelmingly sad, because even now, we are rich in Christ. And then that goes back to... Christ, again, in terms of where this psalm reminds us of Christ and even can help prepare us for the Lord's Supper. We already said that he experienced what appeared to be great injustice. He was mistreated by wicked people who thought they had power. You know, Pilate, you know I have the right of you know, power of life and death over you. And Jesus even then says, well, I could have plenty of angels if that was time for that, and I'm not. He was reviled, but did not revile in return, but entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. And even in the midst of his suffering, he took the long-term view. I love in Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. In the midst of his suffering, he realized what he was going to accomplish in doing the Father's will and purchasing us for himself and gaining his bride. And that enabled him with a higher perspective in his mission. And now Isaiah 53 says he will see and he will be satisfied. And now we who are in Christ are rich and blessed in him. And while the world is doing whatever the world does, trying to make itself happy, even with the Lord's Supper, we feast in remembering what Christ has done for us. We feed by faith upon his body and his blood and acknowledge our sins have been forgiven. We've been incorporated into the kingdom of God. And what a blessing it is to be on his side. Again, there's nothing to envy about those who are winning in the world because their time is short. And we are blessed to be the people of Christ. The nearness of God is our good. And he draws near to us. And the fellowship of his people. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that as we experience hardship and challenge in this life. We see the temporary prosperity of the wicked and we're tempted to envy those who hurt us or do wrong. We acknowledge, O oh God, you are just and we have confidence in your justice. We thank you that even though we deserve to be among those who are the wicked, who are punished, that Christ has died for us, that our sins have been forgiven and now we are your people. Help us as we continue to worship you, to worship in spirit and in truth and to find great joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.